From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. Welcome to the show. It's good to be back. Uh, if you've noticed the last few weeks, uh, some of the shows that we've been playing have been repeats uh, of other shows that I've done in the past. And that's because I've been on holiday a little bit, taking a bit of a break, uh, and also doing a, a little bit of work. So that's why I haven't been uh, on the show. But it's good to be back. And, uh, and a little bit on the cold side, uh, so we're going to have to warm up the show as well today so i hope that you will, will be warm after we're done today uh besides the taking a bit of a break one of the things that i was also doing while i was away was that i was on a course uh or a, or a seminar if you like uh which is run by the israeli ministry of foreign affairs a diplomatic seminar that they run once a year and basically they bring together young jews from all around the world uh, and uh, you know have discussions about Israel and the Jewish diaspora and issues affecting Jewish communities and it was very interesting for me uh, to to go on this course uh, partly because of just the variety of Jews from different places that uh, I encountered I, I didn't know for example that there were Jews in Colombia or the Dominican Republic um, or uh, all sorts of other places uh, that I that that I met in fact the the course had 28 people from uh, well, Excuse me, 35 people from 28 different countries and uh, lots of South American countries, uh, Argentina, Brazil, also the U.S., uh, ourselves, and then, of course, a lot of European countries, also places that you don't think of as large Jewish communities, uh, Belarus, uh, of course, there's a po- Poland, which, which has a, a community, France, all of those are fairly big, Sweden, and, and it was really interesting to just get a sense about what is going on in the Jewish world and what are the issues that some of these communities are facing, which are often similar to the ones that we face here in South Africa, but also quite different. You know, a lot of the places that I spoke to had never heard of BDS, for example, just wasn't on their agenda, but because they have small communities, they're very worried about other things. Some of their countries banned uh, uh, kosher slaughtering, for example. That's a huge issue. Uh, some of them are worried about neo-Nazism, which is not something that affects us here. So it's very interesting to see what is going on in the Jewish world. And as we sort of traveled around Israel together, uh, this this group, uh, we learned different things uh, about what's going on and from the front lines and the cutting edge, so to speak, uh, about what's going on in Israel as well as what's going on in, in the Jewish world. And that, that was uh, really interesting. And you learn a lot uh, even outside of the formal uh, lectures uh, but just by learning and talking to people and seeing what is up with them. So what I thought I would do today uh, on the show, I have a special edition uh, of reporting back on some of the more interesting things that I saw on this tour uh, and the places that we visited, which I think uh, really bring some of the stuff that you never see on the news in regards to Israel. And I've just taken a selection. There was a whole bunch. It was a very, very busy trip. Uh, if you weren't waking up and going a place, you were eating and moving. So it's one of these ones where they, they move you around. And I just thought I'd bring some of the highlights from my perspective um, of of what is interesting in Israel and what might become talking points later on uh, in, in, the, in the coming weeks. Some of them, even while we were there, were very hot. So, you know, it's... Uh, 
extremely interesting uh, what is going on in Israel at the moment, what are the challenges that they're facing, etc. So we're going to do that. We are going to be covering basically uh, individual different topics, uh, talking about them and uh, oh, saying finding out where you can get more information on them as well. By the way, if you want to be part of the conversation, we always love to have interaction. Feel free. You can SMS us on 34519. Uh, that is the SMS line. Uh, tweet us at, at FM. And we will happily take your take your interactions uh, and questions, comments, anything else like that. Really great uh, again to to be with you on the show. Looking forward to it. Uh, now let's move to some music. This is the sticker song by Hadach Nachon. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is one hundred one point nine High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, by the way. This is uh, the new Blue Review. Welcome back to the show. As I said, we're going to be reviewing some interesting stuff that's going on in Israel at the moment as per the seminar that I recently went on, some of the interesting speakers uh, that I met. And the first place I'd like to start is perhaps uh, a little bit counterintuitive. You know, we, we listen about Israel and we hear about what's going on in Syria and in Gaza and, uh, you know, some of the domestic political issues, uh, which is actually something that I am going to talk a little bit about. Uh, but maybe I'm going to start with something that, is something that gets talked about but in in quite a different way. And that is the issue relating to how does the rest of Israel relate to the Haredi uh, in the society. The Haredi or the ultra-Orthodox who live in Israeli society, they often uh, want to be closed off from the world. They don't speak Hebrew necessarily uh, or even English. They just speak Yiddish. They have their own newspapers uh, and, uh, you know, they they don't like certain kinds of technologies like smartphones and that sort of thing because – they're trying to keep uh, they're trying to keep their communities sort of close in and disconnected from the outside world to preserve their way of life. And one of the big things that happen uh, with the Haredim is that they extend this kind of view of the world to their education system as well. Uh, so they'll go to schools and not learn any kind of really any secular subject uh, in 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 respect, particularly of of math and, uh, as I said, English uh, or any of the on any of the other subjects, and uh, rather you know spend their time uh, in, in doing Torah study, etc. Uh, they also don't like to serve in the army because they're you know um, studying, and and this is causes a lot of issues in Israel, or a lot of tensions rather between the more secular parts of the society, who say that they have to go to the army, uh, and why should they have to go to the army? Uh, if if people are studying and and that's just one aspect uh but another aspect has been uh the issue of employment uh, because a lot of um people in this group feel that because they're studying torah uh, they can then go out and and do other things in in the secular world and that hasn't proven to be the case which means that there is a very high a rate of poverty amongst Haredi groups because they don't have a way of earning a living, and it's a, a really big problem. So, for example, if you go to Jerusalem, you'll find that uh, Jerusalem is actually one of the poorest cities in Israel per capita because, first of all, they have a very large Arab population, uh, and we're going to talk about that as well, um, who haven't really um, sort of integrated into the society, and you have this very large um, 
group of ultra-Orthodox uh, who also are not working. So uh, it's a, a big issue for the economy and a, a big issue for, for the people in the community as well, uh, particularly some of them who uh, have found that, uh, you know, being a high-level yeshiva student isn't what they want, uh, and then they don't have any options to do anything Else. And so what is the solutions to this sort of thing? Because in Israel, this pro- uh, problem uh, gets people's backs up very, very quickly. And and so we went to meet with a guy called Rabbi Menachem Bombach. Uh, he's a, a 41-year-old founder of the Torah Academy Midrasha Hasidit, uh, which is a new yeshiva system in Israel focused on reducing poverty uh, in the Haredi community through education. Um, Menachem himself is from a um, Haredi community in Emea Shurim. Uh, and uh, through a variety of um, issues, he found that uh, his... Um, Friends and himself, he, he wanted to learn more, and uh, he he was really struggling uh, uh, to to learn. Uh, he 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 basically was being a, a counselor for for Russian kids who were coming in uh, at that time through the Soviet from the Soviet Union, and uh, he was trying to do basically exercheset. So he was going and helping out these kids, and one day one of these kids came to him and said, "Look, you know, can you help him?" with his homework and he realized that he wasn't able to help him and this sent him on a journey where he started to learn a little bit of secular education eventually he got to university did one degree uh, a second degree and then realized that you know it, w- it was important uh, for other people to have access to this and, and wanted to provide an opportunity and so what he did initially was to create a one-year program where uh, Haredim coming out of the schooling system could do like one year to catch up uh, and learn about uh, about university, uh, you know, get basically like a one year course uh, to get into university. But what he found was that this wasn't enough; that you couldn't learn everything in one year. What everybody else had been doing in in twelve years, and this was a sort of huge, uh, a huge issue uh, for him. So he started a high school. Uh, it's a high school in Israel where they learn. Uh, all yeshiva uh, uh, subjects, uh, but also uh, learn various secular uh, subjects as well, according to the the program of um, of of, Is- of Israel's uh, schooling system, basically. And uh, he started off by creating a boys' school, boys' only school, and then created a, a girls' school. And he has been basically trying uh, to teach these kids uh, so that they can go into universities. And um, and learn and and then at least provide for their families, and uh, it's been quite a big deal. Uh, not everyone in in the ultra orthodox community has been very happy about it. Uh, a lot of them uh, say that you know he's he's going too fast and and doing things which are uh, uh, you know basically integrating uh, people and he in some places he's not really welcome anymore although he says he does get a lot of support privately from a lot of rabbis in the ultra orthodox uh, community and uh, and he's basically been creating these uh, university students he also takes other interesting approaches for example he believes that um, his students should serve in the IDF although this is a very very uh, contentious issue and uh, he says he people should do it mainly because uh, they should have uh, gratitude for the work that soldiers do to protect uh, the people of Israel and uh, yeah it's absolutely a fantastic initiative and really really 
uh, an interesting uh, an interesting guy and if you listen to him talk he's always really happy and really excited uh, and and ha- you know really brings you can see he's a person on a mission uh, and is trying to do his bit to change the world so Menachem Bagenbach if you want to look up uh, the work that he's doing you can just google him Menachem Bagenbach uh, Torah Academy uh, and you can see the work that he does and yeah, he also had an amazing viral video uh, go out where he was talking a little bit about uh, serving in the in the IDF and uh, basically he uh, did something where uh, his kids were for for Memorial Day for Yom Hazikaron they they did a, a special ceremony for Yom Hazikaron it's very unusual in the Orthodox community and and this uh, thing has gone viral so you can also check out his video and see the interesting work that he is doing uh, that's uh, Menachem Bombach and uh, yeah we're going to take some some music and then when we get back we'll be talking about what is going on in Syria the best part of your day at the heart of your community all the talk all the music all the news hi fm that was Echod by Mandy Wold on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is a New Blue Review. And by the way, if you want to be part of the conversation, SMS us 34519. That is our SMS line. And uh, you can also tweet us at Chai FM, and we'll happily uh, engage you on what is going on uh, in Israel, in South Africa, and around the world. And uh, we've just been looking today at some of the interesting stuff uh, that we learned on the seminar uh, recently run by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And the next thing I want to talk about is a guy called Nir Bombs. And uh, Nir, he is a, a political analyst. He, he's at the Tel Aviv um, University uh, in the Moshe Dayan Center for uh, Asia and Africa Affairs. And he's a, a really interesting guy. Uh, and he came to speak to the group about something which I think a lot of people have heard about in the last few years, but it's still kind of been kept a little bit under wraps. And it's about to undergo uh, a new change uh, in terms of uh, the situation on the ground. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Syria mainly, uh, because if you go up to uh, the northern border with Israel and Syria, you're up to a place called Mount Bentel. Mount Bentel is a, a basically a border area uh, up in the mountains of the Golan where you can you can see basically into Syria they also by the way have a very interesting coffee shop uh, on the Israeli side of the border uh, it's bizarre you'll hear why in a second the coffee shop is called Kofi Annan uh, which is very clever because it's a sort of play, of course, on the idea of coffee because it's a coffee shop and coffee Anan, who was uh, from the UN. But uh, Anan also in Israel in Hebrew is cloud, so it's sort of up in the the coffee that's up in the clouds and it's a very cloudy area. So that's uh, whoever came up with the name with, with like that, well done, uh, ha ha ha, very funny, right? Anyway, so once you go out of the coffee shop. And you look out over the border, uh, you can see all sorts of stuff into Syria. And what the guides will explain to you is that on one side uh, that you can see is a rebel-held area. And then next to it is a bit of a government-controlled area. And then next to that is more rebels. And then kind of around the corner uh, where you can't quite see because there's a mountain in the way, that's where – some of the last remnants of ISIS are to be found. So you can all really see it uh, across the border of Israel. And uh, it's remarkable because, you know, there's people who are going up to the Golan Heights for all sorts of reasons all the time. There's wineries there. There's hiking. People are doing stuff. And so you've got this proper tourist industry um, going 
and people coming and seeing. And when we were there, there were tons of groups coming to have a look at the situation there. And and just literally across the road is is ISIS, right, uh, or, or some version of it sitting there. Now, why is this so interesting is that amongst the groups of the rebels – uh, there has been a bit of a change in attitude over the last few years in regards to Israel because uh, I think in around 2012 or 2013, maybe a bit later than that, the Israeli army found that there were people who were starting to come across the border. They they didn't know who they were. They were going to shoot, but then they suddenly realized that, that these actually were civilians. Uh, and so without actually checking with headquarters first. They just let them across the border uh, and immediately took them to hospital because they were injured. That was the reason that they were coming in the first place, it turned out. And there was quite a lot of concern in the in the Israeli uh, foreign policy units and the, and the army about this. Uh, they were very worried. But what happened is that this ended up becoming a policy, what the Israelis called a good neighbor policy, where over the last few years, they've been actively supporting uh, particularly with uh, humanitarian aid and uh, and medical attention, Syrian fighters, Syrian civilians, uh, and the rebels that are sitting along the border uh, in in Israel. Now, the reason that this was the case uh, was twofold. First, there was good humanitarian reasons for it. There are people who have uh, been you know, involved in a terrible civil war. By the way, there was this amazing stat that uh, I was uh, you just thought it was incredible. You know, the number of Palestinians that have been killed in the last 70 to 100 years in the fighting with Israel comes to 20,000, right, uh, which is uh, a large number. Uh, and you don't want to count dead people, but that is the number that have been killed. That is the same amount of Syrians that have been killed in a month, uh, one month, uh, that uh, have been killed in the Syrian war. So so there's a, a real uh, humanitarian tragedy going on. And Israel saw this as a way that they could connect with uh, their, their Syrian neighbors. Um, the other one was strategic because although a lot of these rebels are not necessarily friends of Israel, uh, and we're not talking about the ISIS ones here, we're talking more about the Free Syrian Army, uh, they are, are more open to negotiation. And and they have a huge problem because on the one side they've got uh, Assad who they're having to deal with uh, and on the other side ISIS, both of which uh, don't like them. And so they didn't want to have to fight with Israel as well. And so by Israel providing aid and uh, supporting uh, people with medical uh, attention, they were able to actually calm down that front and sort of a, an alliance of sorts develop between these Syrian rebels and the Israelis, and this was good for Israel because it kept more problematic groups like the Assad regime uh, and the Iranians and uh, you know all of these other groups at bay. Uh, in, instead, they had some more friendly neighbors uh, who were um, who 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 were these rebels. Now, why is the situation tra- changing, and what has Neobom's got to say about it? Well, the Syrian civil war is starting to wind down. Uh, Assad, unfortunately, I think, uh, is staying in power. And and basically starting to mop up uh, a bunch of rebel enclaves in different parts of the country with the assistance of Russia and the Iranians. And so it looks as though these um, enclaves are starting to come under attack from different regime forces. And and so Israel now has a question because it's been working with these people. They've been friendly with one another. And, and what are they going to do? And Neobombs went into a whole discussion uh, with the group about what is Israel's options 
and uh, what can they do? Can they get people out? Uh, they're already sending in humanitarian aid from the Israeli side, uh, by the way, which often was raised in the Israeli society from NGOs. You know, what are they? Go- are they going to basically abandon these friends, or is there anything that they can do to stop this from happening? So. Uh, this is the, the dilemma that the Israelis have at the moment. Uh, and in the next few weeks, we'll be seeing, I'm sure, uh, more talk about this as uh, as the Assad forces start to bear down on the rebels and, and basically put these Iranians into place. So uh, I thought that was absolutely fascinating and something that you should be looking out and finding all, out all about. Uh, if you want more information, uh, Google Nirbombs, uh, that's N-I-R-B-O-M-S, in Syria, and you can see his article on what's being going on stay relevant and up to date this is 101.9 high fm uh continuing now with some of the interesting uh places and things that uh are going on in israel at the moment and perhaps something a bit more cultural uh i'm sure that uh, most of the listeners have watched schindler's list and uh, if you remember, at some point in the movie, there's actually a wedding that happens inside one of uh, the concentration camps uh, in in the actual um, in the actual movie. And the next person that we're going to talk about is someone called Joseph Bauer, and it was actually his wedding. And uh, Joseph Bauer is an absolutely fascinating character. He was uh, someone who. Uh, was a graphic designer. He was a, a, a specialist in what's called goth writing, and uh, he was a calligrapher that we would we would call a graphic designer today. He used to write things. That was his job, and he happened to specialize in this gothic script, which then became basically what the the Nazis were using in all of their signs. So when they took over, uh, they actually took uh, Joseph Bauer and made him. Uh, their their writer and he had to do all the writing uh, in the camps for for the Germans and because he had this particular um, talent he also ended up being a chief forger for the Jews uh, that were trying to get out and he used to forge documents so that many many people could escape out of Germany uh, he himself never quite managed to escape and eventually uh, got sent to to the camps uh, where he carried on working uh, on on this on the stuff and uh, making things for the Germans and eventually meeting his wife in the camp through a very uh, interesting story which I won't go into now. Uh, eventually, he made it out of the camp and got back to Israel. And in Israel, he then uh, began a uh, a studio where he was making film, where he was writing stuff. He worked a lot on posters and uh, different elements that basically were continuing but in the background he was actually working for the Mossad uh, making again uh, what he had been doing throughout the war was basically forged documents uh, so that the Mossad um, could could do the work that it needed to do uh, and it's absolutely a fascinating story because despite the horrors that he had been through uh, he also maintained an enormous uh, sense of humor and uh, he used to make cartoons and children's drawings and characters and photographs and all sorts of things. And his work has now been collected into the house in which he lived by his children. Uh, it's called the Joseph Bauhaus. And you can actually go 
and have a look at it now. It's in Tel Aviv, and they'll do a tour for you. They'll show you where he lived. Uh, you can even buy some of the works that he owned, including a book that he wrote about the Holocaust, uh, all done through graphic script. So it's an absolutely uh, fascinating place. Uh, if you're looking for something a bit different uh, in Israel, if you want to talk a little bit about the Holocaust and actually understand a personal story, uh, it's a really great uh, place that you can go to actually learn more. And uh, it is absolutely you know, a fascinating story of, of this guy and, and the work that he did and how he sort of maintained his humanity despite what he had seen. So uh, if you're interested, you can also check out the website. It's called www.josephbau.com. Uh, that's B-A-U dot com. Uh, and you can go have a look. And they've got some of the stuff uh, that he made up there, uh, which I think is uh, is quite remarkable and really testament to, to a man who uh, kept living a life uh, despite uh, some of the, the terrible things that were, were, were happening around him. So uh, I thought that was absolutely fascinating and well worth, uh, if, you're in the, if you're in town, to go, to go for a visit. Otherwise, check it out on the website. You can see some of his stuff, josephbow.com. We're going to take a short break. and we come back, we'll be talking about Arabs and startups. A frequency like no other. 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM indeed. I am Benji Shulman and this is the new review, Blue Review. And uh, we are reviewing some of the interesting stuff that's going on in Israel and the Middle East at the moment. Now, I'm sure everyone has heard about Startup Nation by now. The fact that Israel uh, is this place where there's continuously uh, new companies being formed, exits where they sell off the technology for billions to huge groups like Google and uh, uh, Intel and Apple and Amazon and basically everyone that you can imagine. And, you know, this is a huge part of the Israeli society. But there's one part of Israel that hasn't benefited so much from the startup nation, and that is uh, Israel's Arab citizens. This happens for a number of reasons. Uh, one of that is that they don't really go to the army where a lot of this innovation is actually uh, thought out. Another is that uh, depending on which school they've gone to, they might not have done uh, that much uh, in mathematics. Another issue uh, has to do with uh, role models and uh, what is seen as being uh, an appropriate career for young Arab Israelis. So all of these things are sort of pushing back against uh, Arab participation in the sector, which is very, very lucrative and uh, could help uh, that community with, uh, you know, with their uh, economic circumstances. So uh, a new organization uh, has been created. Its name is Taquin, uh, and that's an Arab word meaning uh, uh, alchemy. And basically, the idea about this organization is that they're trying to uh, nurture entrepreneurial spirit in Arab-Israeli communities. And uh, what they do is they basically are what we would call today um, an incubator. So they support uh, organizations and uh, and companies that are on the road to becoming big startups, uh, particularly uh, in the Arab uh, sector of the community, so it needs to be you know uh, Arab Israelis who are uh, creating this, although they can also have uh, uh, Jews, and it's backed by some of the biggest uh, supporters of um, of startups in the country. So uh, Chemi Perez, who is a, 
something uh, head of something called Pitango, which is a massive VC firm, and um, uh, and also JVP, which is um, a another huge uh, investor, and and they are supporting uh, this group to try and get uh, more Arab Israelis involved. Uh, with with this and uh, and basically what they do is they look at entrepreneurship uh, not quite how uh, Jewish Israelis look at it Um, they they try and see what are the gaps and how can Arab Israelis uh, be part of it so interestingly they've already got some companies that are uh, on the move one of them is called Mindlift which is a drug fee drug free ADHD therapy using a special headband uh, that can record brainwave activity and translate it into a mobile game and uh, by doing this it can actually help cure ADHD without some of the hardcore drugs uh, that people have had to use uh, another one is called Alpha God uh, which is a an affordable nanotech solution which identifies pathogens in real time. Uh, and using nanotech gas sensors, uh, the Alpha Guard can sniff samples to test whether they're infected with pathogens such as Salmonella or E. coli. Now, uh, this is particularly important for uh, lots of places, particularly groups like that make food, etc. We've seen a few food scares even in our own country in South Africa in the last uh few months and uh, with this sort of technology it doesn't take months and months to f- go backwards and figure out the source you can just uh, basically sniff the food uh, and figure out that way where it is coming from and so those are o- only two really really interesting ones there's one to do with jewelry uh, and another one to do with machine learning but basically by supporting these different organizations Taquin Labs which is what it's called are hoping to find ways to bring Arab Israelis into the high-tech revolution in Israel uh, and thereby create more integration in the society so absolutely fascinating projects if you're into this kind of stuff check out taquinlabs.com uh, and you can actually you know really see what is going on there so yeah cool stuff happening in israel hope you enjoyed uh what we brought to you today um and uh, thank you for listening Uh, i'm looking forward to uh, chatting to you again next week because we've basically come to the end of the show for today so uh, uh, we'll be chatting to you again next week and uh thanks so much we'll see you then